This morning we are gathered for a moment of worship through both song and message. And we begin to look at our new series in which we've called Restore Us. And it's an exploration into the scriptures for this upcoming season of Lent. I invite you as we move along this morning to follow along on the backside of your bulletin. You'll see some places to fill in some notes. Sometimes when we hear something, we don't capture it all at once. And so notes are just a way to help us revisit this topic later on throughout the week. Our Lent journey, do you have my remote plugged in? Our Lent journey through Restore Us is going to be the Sunday morning series of finding and creating space in the midst of our busy and troubled lives to be transformed by the story of Jesus as he was led to his death and ultimately his resurrection. Lent is a season in, that starts 40 days from Easter on what we call Ash Wednesday. Lent literally means spring. The 40 days are reflective on the time that Jesus spent fasting in the wilderness to prepare his earthly ministry and overcoming the temptations of Satan. Lent, as a result, has become a symbolic reminder of the importance of repentance, fasting, and a realignment through individual and communal self-examination and reflection. Last year during the Lent season, Lancaster newspapers interviewed some local pastors on what Lent meant individually and personally for them. They asked and interviewed me as one of those local pastors. And it was a unique request for me because maybe like many of you, I didn't grow up celebrating or remembering the Lent season. Now, we had a big Easter service, and there was always a katata that would perform a beautiful Easter choir performance, but there was not a lot of talk of the Lent season leading up to Easter. And so when I was asked to talk about my own personal and individual experiences with Lent, they are much more uh, short-lived than many of the other people that they interviewed. In fact, there was one, only one other church before coming to East Petersburg Mennonite Church that I had been part of that followed a liturgical calendar. So as I began to think about how I would respond to them, what it means to me personally, I began to realize that for many churches it's become either a bland legalistic obligation or it's become a great reminder to realign ourselves. And I hope that as we look at the Lent season this time through our series, that we don't see it as a bland legalistic obligation, but as a reminder to realign ourselves to the ways of Jesus. This is how I responded to the question of what does Lent mean for me personally. During the Lent season, I will be embracing an attitude of solitude and surrender. It is a season that reminds us of that which enslaves us and oppresses us. I like to remember that and face it along with my own mortality. In essence, I stand in the dark and the looming shadows of the coming of the cross and remember what freedom, grace, mercy, and healing we find through Jesus on the other side of the cross. Lent may not be a familiar rhythm to ever. To us. However, it is important to note 
that the rhythms of the Lent season remind us to embrace an attitude of both pause and surrender. Familiar or not, the rhythm of the Lent season has the power to remind us that we can embrace an attitude that causes us to pause and surrender ourselves before the Lord. You know, we live busy lives. We get distracted very easily. And the one thing that we don't do well is pause. And I remember at one time in a church service in a Lent season in which the pastor said, do you know how awkward silence is for us? How hard it is for us to pause? And he said, I'm going to ask that we sit for just 30 seconds with silence. And he set his timer. I really thought we sat there for about five minutes in silence. We have so much on our minds and so much in our lives and so much all around us that sitting in silence and teaching ourselves to pause is hard. You'd be surprised how long 30 seconds can feel when you're not supposed to think about anything or watch anything. Lent is also a chance to find the areas in our lives that have become distracted, enslaved, and overwhelmed. As I said, Lent starts 40 days before Easter, and it's this this time of looking at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, this time in which he has began to fast and, and remove himself from the busyness of life, and he's paused and surrendered before the Lord, so much before God, so much so that he's even not eating, and it gives him a chance to be aware of himself. It gives us the chance to become aware of where we become distracted, enslaved. And overwhelmed. Lastly, Lent also gives us the chance to struggle in the looming shadows of the cross to find grace and healing. So often when we struggle with something, we struggle with it more on the inside than we do on the outside. We say things like, I could tell you what's wrong, but who would really care? Or who's really listening? Or I could complain about this, but... Uh, No one wants to hear that anyway. Most of our struggles, we don't pause to actually reflect on, not only because we're scared of what others will think, but more times than not, we are scared about what is really going on inside us and what we think. Lent gives us that chance to struggle in the looming shadows of the cross to find grace and healing. Jesus, as he retreats into the desert, as we will see this morning, stares at what will be his earthly ministry, knowing where it will end, and beginning to wrestle with what that will mean for him. As humans, we hunger for many things throughout our lives. God, our provider, knows our deepest longings, offering both sustenance to our needs and deliverance from temptation. As we venture into Lent, let us pause and be aware of these things that we hunger for in such a way that we can be aware of what has distracted us, enslaved us, and overwhelmed us. In this act of surrender, Lent reminds us to give it all to God and to stand in the shadow of the cross so that those things can be surrendered and sacrificed and then realigned to find contentment and purpose in Jesus. This morning as we begin our Lent season, we do so by looking at the ways in which we long for God to restore us with contentment in the places that we have void 
and we long for hunger. It is only God which can quench our longings, or silence our longings, physically, spiritually, and mentally. As I said this line earlier, we as humans hunger for many things throughout our lives. What came to your mind? Take a minute. Not really a minute, because that would feel like eternity. But reflect on your own longings. What is it in life that you are most hungry for? Somebody said, what is it that you are wanting the most out of life? What is it? Now, I'm not talking about the type of hunger that we think of when we crave ice cream before bed. Or we want an overpriced hot dog when we're at a baseball game. Or if you're like me and it's a hot summer day, you're craving a Coke slushie. I'm not talking about that kind of hunger. What do you really hunger for? The idea of hunger I'm talking about is much deeper hunger. As one dictionary defines it, it says, the idea of being hungry is a strong or compelling desire or craving. A strong or compelling desire or craving. What are you hungry for? God, our provider, knows our deepest longings, offering both sustenance to our needs and deliverance from the temptations we hunger for. There's a traditional Western saying that hunger breeds discontent. Hunger breeds discontent. Benjamin Franklin said it like this, Content makes poor man rich. Discontentment makes a rich man poor. Think about that for a second. Contentment makes a poor man rich, but discontentment, being discontent, makes a rich man poor. What are you hungry for? Proverbs 27 pushes that same idea out. In 27.7, the writer David of Proverbs, whoever is writing this proverb actually, says this, One who is full despises honey, but to one who is hungry, even bitter food tastes sweet. We might change it to chocolate there, right? One who, despises, one who is full despises chocolate. But to one who is hungry, even bitter food tastes sweet. What are you hungry for? Are you content in life? Or do you find yourself hungry in those deepest spots that you don't even want to face for something else? This morning we are going to be looking at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And you can follow along with your Bible or with me on the overhead screen. Matthew 4, 11 is this story of Satan in the role of a tempter. And he's looking to get to Jesus' identity by bringing discontentment into his life and into his faith in God. Satan, the tempter, is looking to create discontentment in Jesus as he sits in the desert. It is our goal this morning as we focus on Matthew 4, 1 through 11, to look at it in a way that both launches the next 40 days of our Lent series and also helps us as individuals find our identity in a way that brings contentment to the places we hunger and the long and silence the longings by looking to God as our provider who alone knows our deepest longings and delivers sustenance to our needs. In the places in which we often crave accomplishment, achievement, affirmation, acknowledgement, acquired wealth, ambition, and more, we find that God only can bring contentment to. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. That Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, 
Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on the word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered to him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now we talk about 30 seconds being a long time of silence. What would it be like in a desert for 40 days? In fact, not only that, in this passage we also see who is really in control of this world when Satan, in the role of tempter, begins to offer Jesus everything in its splendor. In a story in which we refer to as the temptation of Jesus, Jesus is wandering through the desert in silence on a fast. And he's preparing himself for a major life change. He's about to take on his earthly ministry of both announcing and inaugurating the gospel of the kingdom. First, in this passage we read, Jesus is tempted to feed his physical hunger. He has began to experience discontentment because he is hungry. He's in the desert for 40 days. He's, he's hungry. And the first thing that Satan in the role of tempter offers him is the ability to meet his physical hunger. The second thing Jesus is tempted to question is his contentment with God by putting both God and his angels to the test. Third, Satan says, Jesus I know you want to be somebody. I know you want to be affirmed by the Father. I can give you a much better affirmation. I can give you the kingdoms of this world. I can fill your identity with earthly power. Those three temptations are similar to what Eve experienced in the garden. In the story of the Garden of Eden, a sneaky snake encourages Eve to quest her hunger by eating a food that looked good, that undermined God's provision. I'll take care of you as long as you don't eat from that tree. And three, could give her the power of knowledge. The Apostle John roughly identifies these three same hungers and temptations in 1 John 2.16. He warns his disciples, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. There's a similarity between these three stories and the three temptations in which we see. We might define them like this. There is an appetite hunger or a lust of appetite. And we see that when Satan tells Jesus, turn these these stones into bread. Or when Eve saw that that tree was good food, she saw... And as 
John writes to his disciples, beware of the lust of the flesh. The, the uh, flesh. What, what is it that looks good over there? There's this, this temptation of affirmation. Leap from the temple. Are you really God's one? Are you really God's kid? Are you really God's son, his Messiah? He'll care for you. The apple was pleasing to the eye to Eve. Is it really a bad apple to partake in? And the lust of the eyes. What can I get distracted by? The ambition. I will give you all of the kingdoms. I know you want affirmation, so let me try to drive your ambition. With Eve, we see that the serpent tells her that the apple was desirable for gaining wisdom. And John calls this, in 1 John 2.16, the pride of life. What drives your appetites? What drives your affirmation? What drives your ambition? When I ask the question, what are you hungry for? This is what I'm asking. Where is your appetite? What is it that you are looking for affirmation from? And where do you find yourself and your ambition being driven? Mike Breen, a theologian and a missional author I enjoy reading and learning from, has said this in an interview a few years back. Lent is really about identity. This period of 40 days is to engage. Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness and the temptations he had to face. And when you get into it, this was all about identity. Just look at the first two temptations. If you're the son of God, then do blank. That's a direct threat to the identity of Jesus as his father's son. The tempter is trying to make him prove his identity... And the thing with the Father is that our identity is freely given. We are his kids. We simply can't earn that. So how can Jesus prove it? His interviewer goes on to say, Why do you think the tempter in that story was so keen on going after Jesus' identity? Mike Breen says, Well, how do you Americans put it? If the tempter gets Jesus' identity, well, that's the ball game. In this story, if the tempter would have gotten to Jesus' identity by planting discontentment in his hunger, Jesus' identity would be gone before he even started his ministry. The whole story and all of its hope would have went on written. If the tempter gets Jesus' identity, well, that's the ballgame. The very things we see Jesus tempted with are the very things that undermine our identity and distract our focus. In our hunger, where do we look to fill our appetite, our affirmation, and our ambition? If there are various things that we just see Jesus tempted with are the very things that undermine our identity and distract our focus. Without regularly nourishing ourselves, without regular nourishment, the void in our lives will give into the tempting hunger's of our body. We all know that if we don't eat, we get hungry. The same thing is true of the spiritual nourishment we receive from the Father. If we do not continue to be nourished by the Father and in His presence, our lives will give in to the tempting hungers of the body. In His hunger, Jesus was tempted with the undermining distractions of appetite, affirmation, and ambition. These are the ways that the tempter doesn't always only try to get at Jesus. 
It is the very ways in which the tempter loves to get at us, you and me, and even us corporately as a church. Through our lusts and our hungers of appetite, affirmation, and ambition. As we see in this story, as Jesus is wandering in the desert, only the Father can silence our longings to be celebrities, consumers, and competitors. Our hungers drive us with the desire to be known. We want to be known for something. We want to accomplish something. We want to find ourselves in the role of celebrity. That will definitely wet our whistle. That will definitely meet our need. If we could just be somebody that people see and know and trust. Our hungers, when they are misguided, drive us to be consumers of everything from life's experiences and everything we can get our hand on to even the way that we respond to in church. In fact, we even say, that church feeds me well or that church doesn't feed me well. If you use that language, you are already losing sight of that. Jesus had that same temptation. And by saying, I'm not being fed, we are giving into this temptation that the tempter has put into our lives uh, to be consumers rather than productive aspects to a community. It also develops in us a competitive spirit to want to keep up with the Joneses. You may visit a friend's house that has everything that you think you want. And you come home and you walk into the front door of your living room and you see something now feels amiss in your own life. It's driven you to be a competitor. This is the way that we as individuals often get undermined. And it's also the way in which the tempter often desires to undermine the church. And this morning when, when you leave at the double doors, there's going to be an article from Mike Breen that I have there called The Obituary of the American Church. And he pushes out these three things as a way in which the church often gets distracted and undermined by the tempter. Friends, if the tempter gets our identity, yours or mine or the church's, through our hungers for appetite, affirmation, and ambition, that's the ballgame. We are nothing and we do nothing as a church or as individuals if the hungers that we have have become discontent in a way that we look elsewhere, outside of the Father, to meet the needs of our appetite, our affirmation, and our ambition. To realign ourselves in this Lent season, and worship team, you can come up at this time. To realign ourselves in this Lent season, we need to pause and be aware. We need to create intentionally that space in which we are in the desert, where even if it's 30 seconds and it feels like five minutes, that we are aware of what's going on around us and also inside of us. We need to find contentment in our appetites. Jesus responded to the tempter by saying, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a continual aspect to this. He isn't speaking about just the Bible. He says on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is an invitation to know the scriptures and also to continually press into the presence of God. Two, we need to know our identity as a kid of the king. Jesus replied, Do not put the Lord to your test. 
Folks, do not question your identity as you hunger. Do not look elsewhere for the affirmation. And three, be aware of what you take pride in or desire to take pride in. Do not chase after kingdoms. Fast is slow, big is small. Pride always comes before a fall. Paul tells his churches, if I were to boast about anything, it is only that I am known by the king. At this point in the story, Jesus tells the tempter, get away from me. We need to pause in this Lent season and be aware of the places we become enslaved and where we've looked to have our appetite, our affirmation, and our ambition met.